You know, we started our Advent series last week uh, talking about the coming of Christ, and we are week two this week we're talking about sin, which maybe doesn't feel like it makes sense in terms of Advent. Maybe it doesn't feel like that clicks, uh, but the, the wonderful thing about it is that who we are in Christ and what Christ has done and what Christ has accomplished on the cross for us is the answer to this problem of sin. And here's what we have on tap today. Uh, our theology is this, sin brings separation from God and eternal death. Sin brings separation from God and eternal death. That's our theology. Our application today is this, we need to put faith in Jesus for righteousness. We need to put our faith in Jesus for righteousness. And then our prayer today is, God, teach us to rejoice in the righteousness you supply. Teach us to rejoice in the righteousness you supply. When we talk about sin bringing separation between, uh, from, from God, when sin brings separation from God and eternal death, it's, it's one of these things that's very important for us to understand from a biblical perspective. Uh, everything's important for us to understand from a biblical perspective. But this is one that I think we get wrong a lot. Uh, we get wrong frequently, and I'll explain that a little bit more. But this idea that sin separates us from God is Adam and Eve, we talked about them last week. They were created for the purpose, and therefore we as humankind were created for the purpose of imaging God and glorifying God, that we were made for the purpose of making much of God. That's what humankind was made for. And then Adam and Eve had to go and ruin it for everybody. And if it hadn't been Adam and Eve, if you and I had been the first people there, we would have ruined it for everybody. It was inevitable that it was going to be ruined. Adam and Eve, they, they were given this beautiful garden. They were placed in the Garden of Eden. They were placed there for the purpose of glorifying God. And then like chapter 3, page 2 of your Bible, it's done. It's all undone. It's all wrecked. And so read here along with me in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, I'm going to begin in verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1. I, sorry, I didn't give you time to go there. I'll give you a second. But Adam and Eve created, like mankind created, for the purpose of imaging and glorifying God. And then at some point, they got in their own way, and they made decisions that separated them from God. And the Bible tells us, well, we'll get there in a second, but here it is, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree uh, was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she gave some also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were, they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. So here, here Adam and Eve are. They're in the garden where God has placed them. He's made them with the purpose of imaging him and rep, rep, uh, representing him in the world. And he's already said, I want you to fill the, the earth and fill the earth with my image, fill the earth with my glory. And Adam and Eve have this decision to make. And there's this tree in the, knowledge, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And also in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. And so the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve hanging out one day, a serpent is in the tree or near the tree. Uh, in every kid's Bible, he's in the tree, but we don't know, I guess, right? So the serpent says to, to Eve, he says, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? 
And she said, no, 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 it's just this one over here we can't eat from. Uh, if we eat it, we'll die. If we touch it, we'll die. And the serpent goes, no, 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 you're not going to die. God knows if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that day you'll become like him. You'll know good and evil just like God. So Eve looks at the tree. She sees that it has good food. She sees that it's delightful to the eyes. She sees that from it she can gain wisdom, or at least that's what she's been told. And so she decides to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, gives some to her husband who's with her. And the Bible says in that moment, both of their eyes were opened and they were able to see things. Uh, they were able to see at least that they were naked. Up to this point, they had been naked. The end of chapter two says they were naked and felt no shame. Uh, you kids can enjoy that one. And so they're just walking around naked all the time. That's just how life was. And they weren't embarrassed about it. Uh, all of us adults still have dreams about like being in your underwear at school, you know, and like you wake up in a cold sweat. Um, for me, it's always high school. I'm always late to a calculus test or a history test. And I'm always my age, whatever age I am in real life. I'm not actually in high school. Uh, if I have that dream now, I'm 45 year old Ryan in high school in my underwear. Can't remember where my locker is trying to take a calculus test. And uh, I don't like those dreams. Those are like, those are my nightmares these days. So Adam and Eve, they realize they're naked they make coverings for themselves because they're ashamed, they're embarrassed, they hide from God. God shows up in the next couple of verses and he goes, hey, where are you guys? And Adam comes out and he says, look, we were hiding because we're naked. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And then he says, well, my wife, Adam passes the buck. Well, my wife gave it to me and Eve passes the buck. Well, the snake, he was telling me. And so God curses the snake and then he makes childbearing difficult for Eve and then he curses the land and he makes uh, growing crops and food difficult for Adam. And then sin, sin's in the world now. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter five that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and therefore death came and death passed to all men because all men had sinned. The Bible in Isaiah 25, also in 1 Corinthians 15, calls death this shadow over mankind. There is this shadow over mankind that is death. There is this shadow over mankind that is separation from God and eternal death. And sin, when sin came in and broke the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God, when sin entered into the picture and death came into the picture, that was passed on to all mankind because all of us are sinners. All, the, the Greek word sin means to miss the target, to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. And, and so if you put it in that perspective, if I were to ask you, has anyone in here ever missed perfection? That becomes an easy question for us to answer. If I ask in here, has anyone ever sinned? People go, well, what do you mean? What kind of sin are you talking about? If I ask you the question, has anyone ever missed perfection? Then that becomes an easy question to answer. And we go, yeah. And by that definition, then we are sinners. We've missed the bullseye. We've missed the mark. We've missed the target. We've missed the aim. And Adam and Eve missed the mark. They missed the target. They missed the aim. And now because of this, death has entered in. Now, here's where it gets sticky. That's the theology of it, that through one man, Adam, Romans 5, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and because of sin, death entered the world, and now all are under death because all have sinned. That's the theology of it. Where, where it gets messy, where I said that a lot of people get it wrong, is the reality is that sin created a barrier between mankind and God. The reality is that sin earned for us, the wages of sin is death, the, the sin earned for us death, eternal death. There is a hell, there is an eternity separated from God, those things are reality. But, but where the theology gets bad is that those of us who have put faith in Christ, remember this is an Advent series, so this is all about Jesus, this is about the coming of Jesus, and so again, spoilers, but 
Jesus was given to us to remove the separation between us and God, to bridge that gap, and to not only remove the separation that was between us and God, but to give us life, to, to take us from the penalty of death and give us life, to destroy the wall that's between us and God and bring us into fellowship with God. And, and so that's, that's the beauty of it, but, but yet so many Christians kind of go through life with this mindset of, God's not as happy with me this week as he was last week. And when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, the reasoning for that is, well, last week I read my Bible a lot, but this week I didn't. Last week I was praying, but this week I haven't prayed as much. Well, last week I was better to my kids, but this week I've been really impatient. And people continue to believe that their sins are creating walls between them and God. Partly, partly because of verses like this. Listen to this if you're a note taker. This is Isaiah 59 two. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden God's face from you so that he does not hear you. Hear it again. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. In Isaiah chapter 1, God says, because of the people's dirty hands, because of their sin, he says, even though you lift up your hands to me in prayer, I will not listen to your prayers. Even though you call to me, I will not answer you. I will not hear your voice. And so here's this verse that says, your sins, your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and he doesn't hear your prayers. Think about it like this. What if I got up? What if I said, hey guys, today our text is Isaiah 59 too. Your sins have made a separation between you and God, and he doesn't hear your prayers. The way you take that is the thing you did wrong yesterday has made a separation between you and God, or the thing you screwed up last week, or the thing that you still are mad about that you did, or the thing that you're still hurt about uh, that you did in seventh grade, right? Any, anybody still feel bad about something they said to somebody else in middle school? Like, I, I have those things in my head. I, I have one vividly in my head. Math class, I think I've shared this before, but maybe back in January, so it's been a while. You know those little, um, you know those little snot sucker things that you get for your baby? You know what I'm talking about? The little blue bulb thing? I, I, has anyone ever cut one of those open just to see what it's like after? I just, I don't know. I just bet that's disgusting. Um, I remember a kid in seventh grade had one in his pocket. And he was playing with one. And I had a sister. I was in seventh grade, but I had a sister who was like three months old. And I was like, oh, you're playing with a booger sucker. And he goes, no, this is for, uh, I forget what he said it was for, like for your ears. It was something for your ears. And I was like, whatever, it's only for boogers. And like years later, I see this advertisement of these things for the ears, and it's like the exact same thing. And I felt terrible. And, and I know it's dumb or whatever, but this kid didn't have any friends. No one ever talked to him. And here I am adding to it and picking on him because like, Oh, you got a booger sucker and you're playing with it. And I'm like, man, I, I don't even remember the kid's name. It would be great if I could go back to him and be like, dude, I am so sorry. Anybody ever feel guilty about something that was 30 years ago? Anybody? And you think, man, I, we do that. We, anybody ever feel guilty about something from last week? And we feel like, Right? We feel like, man, that barrier's here. And if I got up, and if, if the only verse I read to us was Isaiah 59 2, and I said, Your sins have created a barrier. If I did that, then what I would. Here's how that sermon goes that sermon says, I don't know what you did this past week, but it's made a barrier between you and God. And then I start to lay on the guilt, and then I start to condemn you and say, You need to do better this week than you did last week. And when people read this kind of text, that's the conclusion they come away with. Michelle and I had a good friend out in Longview when we lived there after we first got married. 
And I can't remember if it was something he taught or something I taught, but it led to a discussion that he and I had. And here was the discussion that we had. He said to me, Ryan, he goes, my sins, the things I'm doing wrong right now are building a wall between me and God. And I said, based on what? I said, because of Christ, because of faith in Jesus, you're righteous, man. You're holy. You are loved by God. You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You're righteous. You're sanctified. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, Isaiah 59.2. And he turned me to Isaiah 59.2. Look, your sins have made a barrier between you and God. Your sins have, have caused God to not hear you, have caused God. And I said, I said, oh, man, dude, well, then you're in trouble. And I was like, because we're going to keep screwing things up. I was like, how do you make that barrier go away? And he goes, I have to pray for forgiveness for every single sin I commit or God will hide his face from me. I was like, so God's hiding his face from you then because there's no way you remember every sin. Like, there are things that, how many of you would understand and agree that there are things in our lives that we don't call sin that God would say, man, that doesn't look like me, right? There are things we don't even know we're doing wrong, right? And I told him that. I was like, man, how, how do you get up in the morning if every day you're going, God's mad at me today, wall between me and God. And, and he goes, well, before I go to bed every night, this guy, this was, what, 10 years ago. This guy was in his mid-50s, early 60s at this point. Uh, he said, what I do is every night before I go to bed, I say, I, I ask God to forgive me for every sin I can think of. And then if there's any I can't remember, I just say, God, in case there's any sins that I can't remember, forgive me for those too so that the wall can be broken down between me and God. Hear me on this. Please hear me on this. When God says in Isaiah chapter 1 that he doesn't hear their prayers, when God says here that, that through the prophet Isaiah, your sins have made a separation between you and God, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you, when he says that in the book of Isaiah, he is saying that to people who have said, we do not want you to be our God, and they are serving idols. He's not saying this to Christians He's saying this to people who want nothing to do with God, who have turned away from God, who said, I have no need of you. That's who he's saying this to. And, and that's the reality, and that's the theology of the Scripture. Those who say, I have no need of God, your sin has separated you from him. Those who say, I have no need of you, God, I have, I have no requirement in my life of you, th that's the separation that happens. This isn't a statement to believers. This isn't a statement to Christians. The Bible says that we get to enter before the throne of grace with confidence because of who we are in Christ. The Bible says, Romans 8, 1, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about how we are forgiven, that our sins have been removed from us, that we've been washed clean, that we're holy, that we're righteous, that we're sanctified, that we are in the eyes of God bearing the righteousness of Christ now. You and I, through faith in Jesus, that barrier between us and God is gone. And yet, we get this thing in our mind that says, yeah, I get it. The barrier's gone, but you don't know what I did last week. And in our mind, the picture we have is that we started rebuilding that barrier between us and God. You don't know how, how far off I've been for the last two months. And we feel like that wall's going up. It's why Christians will say, I feel like God's really far from me. Almost every time a Christian says, I feel like God is really far from me, it's because of the guilt they're carrying for their behavior and their deeds. And God is not far from you. You are wrapped up in who God is. You are tied up in the midst of God and the character of God and the person of God by faith. Listen, our sins, our sin, what we inherited from Adam, what was passed on to all humanity, that shadow of death, that earned for us death. Sin for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin 
earns for us death. Sin built between us and God a barrier. Faith removes all that, removes the barrier, and then grants us, gifts us life. And so here, let let me just say it to you this way. When, When you read a text in the Old Testament that says, do these things or I don't hear you, do these things or I don't know you, that's not about faith. That's about law. And here's what I want you to know. If our standard is law, if our standard is the rules, all of us are, all of us are condemned to hell. If the standard is going to be the rules, then all of us are going to be condemned to hell. Every one of us. The Bible says Jesus, talking to Jews in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking to them about the law. And listen to what Jesus says to them about the law. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard of the law. Be perfect. It's not try your best. It's be perfect. Don't miss a beat. Don't mess up once. Don't make a mistake. James chapter 2 tells us this. James chapter 2 tells us this. It says that if you break any part of the law, you've broken the whole thing. Those of you who say, I'm doing pretty good in this area, and pretty good in this area, and pretty good in this area, and you can give me a list of 100 things you've done right, if you can give me a list, one thing long, we can debate about whether or not it's a list if it only has one thing long. My feeling is, if it's one of those deals that you put on your refrigerator that says list, and then you put something on it, it's one thing long. It's a list, right? A friend of mine from college, we still don't agree on it, but we can talk about it another time, Wednesdays maybe. What, it, what constitutes a list? If you give me a list, a hundred things long of what you've done right, and you give me a list of one thing long that you've done wrong, then you're wrong. Then you've failed. If you fell in one part, you fell in everything. None of us, none of us can be perfect on our own. None of us can hold to the standard of God. None of us can do everything right. That's why it's not based on us. That's, not, that's why it's not based on our conduct, our behavior. It's based on faith in Jesus, what he's accomplished, what he's done, what he's achieved, what he's purchased for us. That brings us right to this application of we need to put faith in Jesus for righteousness. Sin does make a separation between us and God. It's true. Sin does bring us into a state of eternal death. Christ abolishes that, those things, though. What you screwed up yesterday, what you did wrong yesterday, does not build a wall between you and God, provided you've already put faith in Jesus Christ. The grace of God, now listen, here's the biggest argument against what I'm saying right now. The biggest argument, and this has been an argument for at least the last 500 years, the biggest argument against what I'm saying right now is people go, Ryan, if if you really teach that, if you really teach that the behavior yesterday doesn't shift our position before God, then people are going to go act however they want to. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that as we love God, as we seek God, he is making us more and more like him all the time. He is conforming us into his image. The Bible calls it grace to grace, faith to faith. He is making us more like him. He is transforming us into his image. How many of us know that there are things right now, we don't don't even know what they are. How many of you would acknowledge that there are things right now you are getting wrong in your life and you don't even know you're getting them wrong yet? There are things that we believe about God or don't believe about God right now that we are wrong about. He's infinite. He's mysterious. He's beautiful. He's fascinating. He's all these things. Don't pretend that we know it all. 
There are things that we are getting wrong right now, and God in his incredible grace says, it's okay. It's not putting up a wall between us and him. There are things we're getting wrong in our relationships. There are things we're doing wrong. There are things that we're poor at, and God is saying to us, put faith in Christ. That's where your righteousness is found. That's where your mercy is found. That's where your grace is found. That's where your peace is found. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it is the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's not his wrath. It's not his judgment. It's not his condemnation to us. It's his kindness to us. I already quoted Romans 8.1, but let's go a little bit further in Romans 8. Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christian, hear that. If you've put faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. And sometimes what we want to say is, yeah, but. No, yeah, but. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The next part says in Romans 8.1, For what the law could not do, weakened as it was through the flesh. Now hear me say this. The law came and said, look, do all these things. If you can do all these things, you're golden. None of us could do all the things. None of us could be perfect from the moment we came out of the womb to the moment we draw our last breath. Anybody who says otherwise does not know God. And that's not me. That's the Bible. 1 John chapter 1, anyone who says they've never sinned does not know God, does not know truth. Not a one of us has been perfect from the womb to the grave. Not one of us. And so when the Bible says the law couldn't accomplish righteousness because it was weakened by the flesh, what it means is the law, which Paul says is good, that shows us what's sin, shows us what's holiness, he says no one could do it because we were all weak. We're too weak to do it. We're incapable of accomplishing it. We're incapable of perfection. The, the sooner we learn that about ourselves and our spouses and our kids, the more grace we'll have. Why do we keep expecting perfection of everybody? None of us can do it. The sooner we start holding people, the next part of Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do, weakened as it was through the flesh, Christ did in fulfilling the law. Your righteousness before God, your holiness before God, isn't your own. It was gifted to you by Jesus. See, Jesus was perfect, womb to tomb. That rhymes. That's better than womb to death. <laughs> Jesus was perfect, womb to tomb. Uh, somebody said that before, but I hadn't thought of it before, so I like it. Um, so Jesus was perfect, and then you and I are not perfect, and we're standing before God. Here's Jesus, completely perfect. Here's this barrier. God isn't hearing from us. We're bound for eternal death. Jesus steps in, and we, by faith, claim his perfection as our own. That's what it means to put faith in Christ. You're saying, I put faith in Christ for my righteousness. I put faith in Christ for my holiness. And now the barrier is gone. And now instead of a trajectory towards eternal death, I'm headed towards eternal life. Not because of my righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness. Now, this is meant to be a really obvious question. I don't expect an answer, but in your head, you should be like, well, duh. Christ's righteousness does not diminish. That's not a question. That's a statement. Here's what I meant to say. Does Christ's righteousness diminish? <laughs> that's what I meant to say. And then, because of the very sarcastic way I said the thing before or whatever, no, Ryan, like, duh. 
Christ's righteousness does not diminish. We'll try again. Uh, you don't have to answer, but I have to fix it in my own head for my sake. Does the righteousness of Christ diminish? No. Christ's righteousness never diminishes. And because the barrier is gone, not because of my works, but because of Christ's works, the barrier is never rebuilt. You who have put faith in Jesus, there is no barrier, none. There's not the rubble of a former barrier between you and God. You are in his presence. You are holy. You are righteous. I I, I don't... Let me be careful how I say this. If you and I were to sit down and I were to say to you, can you make a list of all the things you've gotten wrong? Some of us could do that pretty quickly. Some of us already have them right here. We keep them, we check them every day. Here are all the things I've fell out. Here are all the things that I've done wrong. God has no such list for you. If you've put faith in Christ, God has no such list for you. God's pleasure with you is on the basis of Jesus, not the basis of you and I. And God's pleasure with Jesus has never shifted. That matters. So when you read a text like in Isaiah 59 that says, hey, your iniquities have made a separation. Listen, there are preachers who get up and read a text like Isaiah 59 too and say, your sin today is making a separation between you and God. They do that. They want to guilt you. They want to shame you. Listen, I want us to be people who honor Jesus. It's true. I want us to be people who glorify Jesus, who make much of God with our lives, who spend our energies and our efforts and our voices and our power and our time to to make much of God. Why? Because that's the reason for which we were created to image him and glorify him. That is fulfilling the purpose. Are you and I getting everything correct? Heck no. Not even close. And yet, I don't have to go to bed in tears at night. I can go to bed in confidence at night that my position before God is unchanged because of Jesus. That's why we have to put faith in Jesus. Adam and Eve sinned. It would have been you and me if it wasn't Adam and Eve. We sinned. Sin enters. Sin brings with it death. And death spreads as a shadow over all mankind. And that is what we earn. That is what we earn through our works. What we receive as a gift is the removal of the barrier and righteousness and life because of faith in Jesus. That's a gift. It's out of the kindness and mercy of God's own heart towards you. He's not trying to have you earn it or merit it. It's not a trial basis. If you can just do these things, you know, you're not on probation with the Lord. Through faith in Christ, you have been made righteous. You have been declared whole. You have been declared clean. Turn, if you would, uh, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We need to put our faith in Jesus for righteousness. This life cannot be about what we've done, what we do, our works, our efforts, We want so badly to measure people by some invisible standard. We want to measure ourselves. We want to measure our spouses, our children, our friends by some invisible standard. If you're not doing things the way that I'm doing things, I'm going to think you're a little bit more wrong than I am. That's how we do it. 
This is how I treat my wife. You should probably treat your wife the same way. This is how I raise my kids. You should raise your kids the same way. And we make it all about these standards and all about these rules and all about these laws instead of saying, look, I have received the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I am righteous. I am holy. When my kids have put their faith in Jesus, they are righteous and they are holy. My wife is righteous and she is holy. And instead of treating people according to some standard that we have held them to, we ought to start treating people according to the standard of Christ. By the way, there are one of two categories you can fall into. You either do not acknowledge the God of the universe and are therefore separated from him and have earned eternal hell, or you do acknowledge the God of the universe, you've put faith in his son, and you are uncondemned, and you have eternal life. Those are the two things. That's it. There's not a middle of the road. There's not a middle ground. Listen to Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Paul says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth could be stopped and the whole world could be held accountable to God. Basically, here's what he's saying. It's a little bit longer story than this, but I'll give you the nuts and bolts of it. Here's what he's saying, that the law came so that everybody would be like, man, I'm guilty. The reason that the law came was so that everybody would be able to quit. They'd, they'd have to quit bragging in themselves. The people who were walking around going, I've got it. I've got it nailed. I'm doing everything right. The law came to show that everybody was a sinner so that it would silence their mouths, so that it would silence their words. Um, so again, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world can be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Hold on to that. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We'll come right back to it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest, has been revealed, has been shown apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets talk about it. That's next week's sermon. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for everyone who believes. For God makes no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. A couple of things. One, back in verse 20. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Let me flip that on its head a little bit. By works of the law, no human being can lose justification in God's sight. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are righteous, you are holy. We can talk more tomorrow if you want to, or the next day or Wednesday, about what it looks to bring our lives into conformity to Jesus. But you bringing your life more in step with God does not in any way make you more or less righteous. But then, then this thing, I, I don't know if you grew up around church or not. There was a thing that people used to use all the time. Some people still use it. It's not a bad tool. It's called the Roman road. And whenever you were talking to somebody about salvation, you would kind of walk them through these texts in Romans. And one of the verses that you would do to tell them that everybody was a sinner is you'd read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You sit down with whoever you were trying to tell about Jesus and you'd say, look, everybody's a sinner. Everybody's a sinner and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not wrong the verse isn't wrong. It's just that the verse is nestled between verses 22 and 24. And I can't remember ever being taught to tell people verses 22 and 24. Maybe you come back to it later, but listen to this, verse 22 and uh, 24. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. The gift of God, the grace of God is for all who believe. 
We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. But there is righteousness for all who believe. There's life. There's holiness for everyone who says, I'm not sufficient on my own. I need Jesus. I need God. I need something outside of me. Adam and Eve sinned. Their sin brought sin into the world, brought death into the world, created a separation between mankind, humankind, and God. And Jesus said, I'm the removal of that barrier, and I am moving us to life away from death. I, I, I don't know how many of you I'm speaking to when I say these kinds of things, but I know that there's got to be somebody other than just me. Quit beating yourself up every day about your shortcomings. Quit beating yourself up every day about the thing you fell at last month, last year, the last two years. Quit playing the narrative in your mind that you're a terrible mother, a terrible wife, a terrible father, a terrible husband, a terrible provider. Quit playing the narrative in your mind that you don't do enough for the church. You haven't shared your faith with anybody this week. You didn't read the Bible enough this week or this year. Uh, you haven't uh, prayed enough. Quit playing that narrative in your mind and rest under the grace of God freely gifted to you that says you are righteous and holy because of your faith in Jesus. Now know this. I believe with all my heart that when we step into that grace, God does change us. That we do become incremental, incrementally more like him. And let's just say incrementally because infinite is big. So we're just becoming a little bit more like God every day until the day we meet him face to face. And then we fully become like him. We know as he knows. But infinite's huge. So the growth should never stop until we die. And then it'll be changed. We'll be changed in a moment. But quit holding yourself to the standard of law. Your failures yesterday, please hear me say this. If you have put faith in Jesus, that's the big if in the beginning. If you have put faith in Jesus, your failure yesterday did not make a separation between you and God. Do you owe somebody an apology? Probably. Can you do it differently next week? Sure. Did you represent Jesus very well? Maybe not. But there wasn't a barrier built. God's not looking for you to make penance. That's already been done through your faith. God's not waiting to like wash you clean. That's been done through faith. God hasn't grounded you or sent you to your spiritual room and said, you know, I don't know if you can worship me today. Yesterday, you weren't acting very much like me. Don't sing very loud today. People are going to know you're a hypocrite. You're righteous. Why? Because of faith. You're forgiven. Why? Because of faith. You're justified and sanctified and holy and chosen and beloved. Why? Because of faith. Because of the work of Christ. And every week for the next five weeks as we finish the Advent series, the punchline will be, this is who you are because of Jesus. And when the Advent series is over and my message changes and my series changes and we're preaching about something new in January and February, the heart of it will always still be, this is who Christ is and this is who we are because of Christ. Because this story isn't really about our journey. Even though we get to journey together. This story is about who Christ is and what he's accomplished. And our faith and trust and rest and confidence and belief in him. Was there a separation between you and God? Sure. 
that was absolved the moment you said, my faith is in Jesus. That's huge. Are you going to screw up tomorrow? Probably. Will your position before God have changed? Not at all. Which leads us to our prayer. God, teach us to rejoice in the righteousness you supply. God, teach us to rejoice in the righteousness you supply. Right now, where you are with your friends, with your family, on your own, however you want to do it, take a moment. Would you just take a moment and would you just pray, God, teach us to rejoice in the righteousness you supply. It's not about your works. It's not about what you've done, what you can accomplish. It's about what God has done. Teach us to rejoice in the righteousness you supply. Take a moment to pray that. pray that God would remind you that that barrier has been removed in Christ. Pray that God would write it on your heart, would make it true in your mind that you are in his presence, loved and adored by him. thing as we continue in prayer. There are people who are still separated from God. We know some of them. They're our friends. They're our family. There are still people in our lives who have not named the name of Jesus. And they are God's enemies. They are separated from him. They are headed to hell. But that can change in a moment through their faith. Pray for those that you know who haven't yet put faith in Jesus, that they would come to the place where they would also stand under the grace of God where they too would believe in God for righteousness. Take a moment to pray for those who still are separated from God by their lack of faith, that they would come to believe in Jesus as well.
come to life. 